So we have these parables of Jesus that we've been considering, and we've seen how he uses them to teach what is out of reach, what is outside of our human understanding to those who don't naturally get it. That's people like us. That's the the people in Jesus' time and the Pharisees, even the religious leaders, as we've learned, who did not connect the way they should have with God's word. They misunderstood it, and there was difficulty there. And he wants to bring those things, that kingdom of redemption, the things that he has come to give the world, to give us, he wants to bring those things into focus. And we have a few more weeks. We're going to be looking at these parables. And Jesus wants us, just as he wanted the people in his time, to keep focused on what mattered to God and to the heart of God. That's why Jesus speaks in these parables. And today's parable, the one we're going to look at, we should take note, this is the first parable chronologically in God's word in the gospel. This is the first parable that we know that Jesus shared according to what's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first one that he shared, and it's an interesting parable, and it's one where he's going to talk about a sower. He's going to talk about a farmer. So I want you for a moment to imagine Jesus. And he's right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And if you've ever seen pictures or been to the Sea of Galilee, I've not, I hope to go there someday, but there are these hills that rise up. And being this right by the water, this is good, this is good land. And there's farming that happens all around on those hills. And I can just imagine Jesus is telling this parable about a sower, about a farmer, and he says, hey, imagine this, this sower. He goes out to sow seeds, and the people are watching, and behind Jesus, as he's on the shore of the sea, they see up on one of the hillsides far off a farmer out doing what Jesus is talking about and sowing those seeds. And as he's explaining it, all the people in Jesus' world, they understand as they look up on the rise and see the farmers, their own lives, what they know in the world around them. I grew up on the edge of the countryside, and every time I'd hear this parable, I would think of the farms I passed on my way from my home to my little Christian school I went to out in the country. And I thought about it all the time, because we'd see the farmers, and they would wave at our bus as we would go by in the morning. And so I always thought about this parable, and I always thought about Jesus telling it to people who understood farming. They understood it, and so Jesus is meeting the people where they are. They're, they get this. This is something they understand, and unlike our world today, they understood what it was like if the crop didn't come in. Now, I know we've seen shortages during COVID-19, and for us, it's so funny. People are comparing this to the Great Depression. My Grandparents and parents, uh, my parents were children during the Great Depression. And so I always chuckle when people are like, this is the second Great Depression. And to be sure, there are a lot of people this is hard for. And for them, it very well may be like the second Great Depression. But I think for many of us, for the majority of us, it's probably not been that in America. Not getting steak for a month is not the Great Depression. Especially when some of us probably had some in our freezer. But yet, even in one sense, when you're so used to having something and you go and it's not there, that's, that's hard, isn't it? Isn't it scary? There was a time, friends, when we thought toilet paper would never return. And how many of you, this is confession time since I can see all of you now, how many of you have purchased extra toilet paper just in case? Don't lie to the pastor. I just bought a whole thing at Sam's Club yesterday just in case. 
And we like this idea of God providing a crop, providing enough for us, don't we? My grandparents who lived through the Depression, I remember, I was telling Mandy this week, their basement had shelves and shelves of canned goods, right? Anybody remember this kind of thing, right? Because they wanted to make sure, in as much as they were able, they never wanted to go without good crop, without having enough. Again, and for some of us who have experienced that in our lives, maybe you grew up and you didn't have enough. I understand how that feels. It's hard. And then you always want to make sure you're very cautious, you're very serious about that. It's something you take stock in. You do that. Here in Stowe, we know there are people that struggle sometimes. That's why our church is such a big supporter of bulldog bags, because for many of us, we don't know what it's like, but other people do. And those Jesus talked to that day, they knew what it was like to not have food under Roman occupation, famine, difficulty. They knew what it was like not to have food. But yet Jesus is talking to them more than about just crops. He's talking to them about not just what is seen, but what is unseen. So we're going to take a look here in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. And then we're going to pick up in verses 18 through 23. Now, in the middle of that is where Jesus talks about how parables are spiritual truth revealed by God. And that might be interesting for you to read this week in your Bible uh, on your own. But here we're going to look at this passage in the beginning, and then Jesus explains the passage afterwards. So Matthew 13, 1 through 9, and then we're going to pick up once again in verse 18. So let's read that together now. On that day, Jesus went out. He went out the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood there on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, as he sowed some seed fell upon the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not, did not have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seeds fell on the good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root, and it is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, But the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times, what was sown. Friends, this is God's holy word. So Jesus here starts with this story that they all understood. There were farms everywhere in that world. Everyone understood what it meant. And in that climate and in that world, growing food, of course, was paramount to survival. They had to do it. It was paramount to their commerce. It was an agrarian culture. They had to do this to survive. Safety, business, life, 
productivity, all of it focused around their crop coming in. To them, that was everything. It was everything. And Jesus wants to take this deeper, what they know into something they don't know, into a spiritual reality. And as we've seen in these parables, this reality, it it eluded them. They often didn't understand it. And the leaders didn't understand it, so the people didn't. So in verse 3, Jesus starts with something they all understand. The sower went out to sow. Farmer goes out and gets going. Every good country song starts with this. Farmer goes out, the crack of dawn gets on his tractor. It's a good country song right there. It is. I don't live on a farm or anywhere near him anymore, so I play my country music when I mow my tiny lawn in Monroe Falls. It's as close as I get. It's good times. It's all right. It's good. We want to grow. We want to grow stuff. It's just we have too many trees. It doesn't work. But anyhow, they got this. The rose had been planted as far as they could see on all the good ground, and they were ready. And the farmer goes out, and he probably has like a leather pouch over his shoulder of seeds, okay? So he goes out, and he's doing, and if you guys have farmed, Stowe was all farming, right? Stowe used to be, people in Stowe used to be called what? Stowbillies. That's, yes, that's right. So the farmer would go out, right? He'd go out, and he would broadcast spread, How many of you, like for weeding, have one of the little things you crank or one of the ones you push? My yard's not that big, so I have the little handheld one where I go around and I just fire out the seed to grow grass or whatever. So, you know, they would just do this manually. They would just go out and they had it figured out. They knew how long the rows are. And back then, when an animal would plow the fields, it would be about a three-foot-wide row. So the row would be about three feet wide, the way they would plow, uh, from what we know historically, And farmers that were good, seed was really important. It was something that was uh, very much a cherished item, right? And they would go out and they would get really good at just throwing it to cover that entire area. And they would walk back and forth in the rows and get all the seed where it needed to go. And they would cover all of it. And they would cover all of it with the seed. And that's what they would do, broadcast spreading it out time and time again. And so they would measure out their paces, they knew how to throw it just right, and they would get it done. Now in our world, it would be a little different. In our world, it might be, and then they went out to the field, to the Aldi and the Walmart, to the Acme and the Giant Eagle, up and down the roads, obeying the signeth that tell them, go this way, but not thine other way. I figured I'd make a King James so it was like more powerful for you guys, but you get the idea, right? So now, if you're like me and you go to the store, how many people pay attention to the rows? Have you ever been going the right way down the row and then someone runs into you because you're both watching the arrows on the floor? I totally did this. Some lady and I collided with each other at Walmart. She was looking for the arrows and had missed a sticker at the end of the aisle saying, don't go this way. And I was looking to make sure I'd not miss the arrow going that way. And we had a, a, we had a head-on collision and both kind of laughed about it. And it, it was fine. But back then, they had to go up and down each row and they would nail it down and they would get it done. And then they would have a cart flowing with milk and honey. Right? That's what they had. All the stuff would grow. They'd collect it, go home. Everybody had food, just like what we would do in our world today. Okay, so they would do that, and they would go out and get it done. But because they lived in this very dry and arid climate, they would use whatever good ground they had, whatever they had. So they would plant their fields right up to the edge of the pass in between. They would walk the pass in between, and they would spread the seed, and the pass people would walk on, If you had green anything, you were going to plant in it, right? This makes sense. They wanted to plant. If there was green anything, 
they were going to plant in it. So that's what they would do. They would make sure that they would get that done, and they would go back and forth and get it done. They didn't want to waste any land. They didn't want to waste any seed. And so because of that, all the different things that Jesus is talking about in this sermon would all butt up against each other. There were only four places seed could go in Jesus' world. Unless you were really bad aim, I guess you could throw it in the water. That would be bad. You would, you know, unless maybe you had like an arm like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, you'd throw it over the mound, it would land in the Sea of Galilee, I don't know. But really, for everybody, you'd have four places it would go. And because of this, it made sense. And in verse 4, Jesus talks about the first place. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Now, this made sense, like I said, because you would have that farmland right up to the path, no matter how good of a name you were, guess what happened to some of that seed? You were going to, you know, I mean, you could be the LeBron James of broadcast spreading. You were going to hit some seed right onto, you were going to hit some right onto the path. And of course, the path was really trodden down. Now, a lot of us from our church here go to the Alive Music Festival when they have that in the summer. This is the first summer, obviously, we couldn't go. But when we go to that and it's dry, and sometimes it actually is dry and alive. Occasionally, it happens. Uh, usually it rains for whatever reason, but when it's dry there, and even if it's rained a few days, as soon as it dries out for a day, all of a sudden, the paths that everybody are walking on, what do they get? Really packed down, really hard, and really dusty. So when seed fell on that, it didn't go in. Just didn't go in. Would not go in. And of course, birds come, and if you're in farming, if you've ever grew up on a farm, I know some of you did, what do you have scarecrows for? Because birds are evil when you're a farmer. I think birds are kind of evil in general, but I watched a lot of Hitchcock as a kid. That might have messed me up. I don't know. But birds come down and they snatch up and devour the seed. They take it up and they eat it. So you walked everywhere in Jesus' day. The paths were really packed. There was no Uber, no Segway, no cars, no public transportation. They walked or they had animals, but usually they walked. And so the seed didn't go anywhere. It didn't go anywhere. This makes sense. And so that seed would just get snatched up. It would get devoured. The next place that it would go is the rocky ground. And verse 5 tells us, other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil when it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. And when the sun came up, it scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Okay, this makes sense to us here, especially us here in Ohio. Now, this is rocky soil. It's not soil that boxes and says, Adrian, it's not that kind of soil. It's rocky soil. It's got no topsoil on it. If you're in Ohio, this makes sense to you, right? Am I the only one that has trouble going, growing grass in this state? Because what? You have rock, clay, and then you have like a millimeter of topsoil. I mean, so much that our neighbors across from us, they're real nice folks, and they they actually built their yard up and put boxes around their tree roots so they had a ton of topsoil and they have the nicest grass. And I always look and I have like grass envy. I go, they have the nicest grass, you know. And they do because they had to put down more soil because the rocky soil, what happens is it, grow, it goes down, it springs up right away, but it does not have any roots. And you guys remember photosynthesis from school. If it gets a little bit of light, it gets a little bit of moisture, it'll fire right up. But what happens when the roots can't get deep down? What happens? It just, it can't take it. The sun comes out. This summer, this makes good sense to us. 
When the sun comes out, poof, it's gone. It withers away. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so we see that it does not happen. Verse 7 reminds us of a third kind of soil. So the, we have a soil where it doesn't take root, one where it can't be sustained. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Okay, this makes sense. Now, if you're a hard rock fan, you like to be on poison, we know every rose has its thorn, that's fine. But thorns and thistles and weeds, Jesus here is also alluding back to how sin works, that we're all born sinful. This is one of the byproducts from the book of Genesis of sin that thorns and thistles would inhabit the earth and that no longer would we just be able to grow things up without having to battle against them. I know you guys know weeds because no matter how thin the soil is in Ohio, what do we get a ton of? Weeds. So many weeds. It's, it's amazing. We get weeds, weeds, and more weeds. And if you don't get the roots of those weeds, what happens? I remember the first time my mom told me to cut the weeds, to, to get the weeds out of the yard. She said, go weed the yard. I was, I don't know, like 11 or 12. She said, go weed the yard. I thought you just went with the weed whacker because it said weed whacker on it. Now keep up. I, now keep up here. I grew up where the mafia was big. So when you whack somebody, what do you do? They're done. You kill them. So I think in my little brain, a weed whacker kills the weeds. So I went and weed whacked all those weeds, and what happened like three days later? Zombie weeds, they came right back. They would not die. And I had to learn an important lesson. My mom gave me this cool claw-shaped thing and said, what every mom tells a little boy, don't hurt yourself and go dig out those weeds. You gotta get the whole root. And they chuckled at me, and I went out, and I weeded and got all the weeds out. We know what happens. If you have something good and all the weeds surround it, they take all the good stuff and there's nothing left for the plant to grow and blossom and flower or produce fruit. They take all the good stuff and there's nothing left for what was intended to grow and to produce fruit. We get that one. We get it. And the fourth place, oh boy, the place where in that world where they had so much need, where they had so much worry, the one they wanted, verse 8, still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. That's what it was. Some 30 times. The good soil, this is what we want. I saw a meme the other day on the internet, what makes someone feel invincible? Is it being the strongest? Is it being the most attractive? No, it's being able to grow a tomato that grows right. That's what makes you feel invincible. Have you ever, you know, tomatoes, everybody says start with tomatoes. Everyone can grow tomatoes. How easy is it to grow tomatoes if you've never grown anything? It's a little hard. You have to take some work. Some of you that are experts are laughing. But for those of us without a green thumb, it's really hard to grow stuff. But even in Jesus' world, if you are good at growing things, a good return on your crop was about 7.5 to 10%. 7.5 to 10% yield would be a good crop in Jesus' world. So if someone says 100, 60, and even 30, 30 is your you know, participation ribbon in Jesus' analogy here. That's a really good crop, isn't it? Think about that. A really good crop. That was amazing. So they hear this and they think to themselves, wow, 
this is really good. This is that, I want that kind of crop. But Jesus stops them and he says to them in verse 9 and then again in verse 18, if you have ears, listen. Don't just hear my story, Jesus says. Listen. And he tells his disciples. He pulls them aside later. Verse 18, he says, listen to the parable of the sower. And if you had a parent like I did, you were told there's a difference between hearing something and listening to it. Jesus says, you need to understand what this is really about. Get the deeper meaning. Get the spiritual meaning. Remember, he's taking what's seen to show them what is unseen. And he's starting here. Now, if you're a good country person, you know about uh, growing a tomato and fishing and all this. He says, that's great, but this is something about your heart and about your soul. And it's about my kingdom. He says, so make sure you don't miss the life-changing part. And that's true for us in the church today. We can lose this. We can miss this. Jesus here is saying clearly that he is the sower. They don't necessarily get that yet, but that's what he's telling them. He's saying he is the sower. Jesus has come to preach salvation. He makes references to this other places in the gospel. We don't have time to go into those today. But Jesus is clearly here saying, I'm God, and I'm the one here to sow the seeds of your spiritual redemption. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm here to do. Now the seeds here are the activity that the sower begins. He starts the process off. He goes out and sows the seeds. And Jesus, we know what the seed represents. Jesus is telling us here, what's the seed? It's spiritual change. It's the power of spiritual rebirth. The seeds that we know, and if you're a Christian, you've heard this analogy before, the seeds represent the power of the good news of the gospel, the preaching of salvation and the repentance of sin for all of us born dead in our sin to come to new life in Jesus Christ. He's saying that he has come to sow those seeds, and yet he says that it's for more than just him to sow the seeds, it's for us as well. Acts 9, 15, but the Lord said to him, go for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. That's Acts 9, 15. This is God speaking to Ananias, a guy who comes to preach to Paul when Paul becomes Paul instead of Saul, when he comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, what we're talking about. And God here reminds this believer, this guy he sends, imagine being this guy, you get sent out to the guy that's killing all the early church Christians to lead him to Christ. And he says, this guy, the apostles, and that has been given out to us, church, as those in the church, we are chosen instruments to take the name of Christ to all those outside of knowing who God is, whether they're in the lowest of places or whether they're in the highest of palaces, our job is to preach Jesus Christ, the one crucified and risen. That is our calling. What God is clearly telling us as the church is that we have a spiritual calling, each one of us, to sow seeds. Whatever your career, whatever your job, your title, whatever stage you are in life, there's no expiration date. When you hit 65, this does not stop. Whatever it is, whatever your experience, all of this, you have a calling to sow those seeds of faith, to share Jesus Christ in the world around you. We have a call to ministry to share that with those around us, to sow seeds. That is the calling God has given us. 
that we would tell other people about Jesus. I want to make sure that we understand that, that we really get that. It's important for us to understand what this is. So, what is it that we are sharing? What is Jesus teaching us about this spiritual process? If we're to sow seeds, what's it look like? What's it look like when we do it? He starts in verse 19, the reality that we are sowing the seeds of eternal life among a world that is filled with brokenness, with destruction, with chaos, with darkness, the things we know all too well in the midst of this difficulty. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. First soil, first spiritual reality Jesus is talking about. What's on the road? What's on the path? It's a hardened heart. Maybe you've heard that before. It's a heart that has not been softened, that has not been touched by the Holy Spirit. Yes, the word is heard, but it's not understood. It's not listened to. The reality of sin, redemption, new life of Christ, that soil is so hard, it doesn't penetrate right away. The seed sits there and either it gets trampled under the feet or the birds. And we know the crows are scavengers. This represents spiritual evil. The reality of Satan and his minions. And that's a reality because it's in God's word. It's a real thing. This is a reality of the spiritual battle that we are in. That does not receive. That does not receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is a gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching. Someone hears the gospel, but yet it's not penetrating into their heart for different reasons. And those spiritual scavengers come and snatch it away. And this is a painful picture because maybe for some of you, you've shared Jesus with someone around you. And it, it wasn't received. It was there. You, you did what you could do, and it wasn't received. It was snatched up. And that's the deception of the darkness and the powers in this world. The principalities and powers as God's world, as God's word describes them in our world. Snatched away. That is one reality. And verses 20 and 21 talk about another one, and this is that rocky soil. The one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root, and it is short-lived. When distress or perse persecution come, because of the word, immediately he falls away. Immediately he falls away. And Jesus here describes someone for us who's thrilled, who's emotionally elated even, to receive the gospel. They hear it and they're passionately reacting and they're so excited. And it's like, it's like an amazing thing. It's like one of those things where it never seems to happen and suddenly it happened. Something unbelievable. Like for me as a Pirates fan, it's like the Pirates just won two games in a row. That is like emotional euphoria. But I know what's going to happen. They're not going to win again until the end of the season. I just know it. Indians fans, I understand how the Browns feel. I'm a Pirates fan. We're terrible. At least I'm also an Indians fan. I don't, I don't have to be that sad. But think about that. The Indians have a pitcher that has pretty much the same record as the entire Pittsburgh Pirates team. That's painful. But emotions, they can take us to the highest of highs, and they can take us to the lowest of lows, can't they? Emotion alone, it's not enough. It's not lasting. Here, this is someone who reacts emotionally to the gospel 
But yet, in the depths of their heart, they've not counted the cost of what it really means to receive Jesus Christ. And the difference between faith and feelings comes down to the rootedness or the depth. That's the difference between faith and feelings. We have to remember that belonging to Jesus is not just about how we feel. It's about the depth of our being. It's about our emotions. It's about our physical being. It's about our money. It's about our time. It's about our mental discipline. It's about the depths of our heart and our being, the ethics, the principles, the values we live by. It's not just one of those things. It's all of those things. It's all of those things. Faith encompasses all of our lives, not just Sunday morning, not just one area, not just how we feel. That's why when we have the vows of marriage, we talk about in sickness and in, in health, in you know, poverty and, in, you know, and in, in plenty and all these different things. We talk about that because in the way that we marry our hearts to Christ, that's the analogy we've seen in all these parables. It's something deeper. It's something deeper. Verse 22, we have another, the one that is among the thorns. Now, the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Wow, this is a very interesting one. I can imagine Jesus cringes a little bit because this is far and away, I think, the broadest swath of land that maybe the seed falls on in a spiritual heart sense. Think about this. Two things that can rob you of your faith here that God talks about, the joy of knowing Christ, the security of knowing and belonging and having purpose to share the good news of the gospel, worry and wealth. Notice that. From the jump, as it were, Jesus wants you to know the two things that will try to suck his presence out of your life, the pursuit of worry and the pursuit of wealth. Think of what we've already learned about those Pharisees, what we've already learned about them. The Pharisees who were lovers of money. And Jesus saying money's bad? He says, no, but if it's all you want, if you want that, if that's what you're after... It can be bad. As Jesus say, no one should ever worry, he says, no, you're going to have worry. But he says, when you have worry, he says, give it to me. He says, give it to me. This is for so many of us, the reality. It's not just about what you're into. It's about how much you're into what you're into. Jesus doesn't want to be your Sunday event Jesus doesn't want five minutes of your morning. Jesus doesn't want your attention only when life is hard. He wants all of you all the time because he gives all of himself to all of us for eternity. Friends, we have to count the cost of what it means to belong to Christ. That's what he's talking about. Otherwise, if we don't, if we let these other things consume us, they'll literally choke the spiritual vitality right out of us. That's what Jesus is warning them about here. And finally, that fourth soil in verse 23. But the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yield, some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. Wow. 
Remember, it's not just what you're into. It's how much you're into what you're into. This crop, in a spiritual sense, means that if Christ has all of you, if you are that good soil, if you give all of yourself to him, if you surrender, because friends, he's, his grace is irresistible. He's going to get you one way or the other. It's like the old song, one way or another, he's going to get you, get you, get you. He is. We should probably use that to teach theology. It might work. But think about that. God is so good when he has all of you, you're going to be so into him, the production spiritually in your life is going to be far beyond. It's going to be a bumper crop of good things in your life and in mine. Multitudes, orders higher than what we could imagine. When I see those people that God uses the most powerfully, when the most intensely to change other people's lives, it's funny, I know some of those people. I saw one of my friends that's a pastor this week, and then my friend Chuck, and he's a pastor. He has nothing going for him right now with his church. Their church building collapsed. They don't even have a church building, and half the church left. I said, how are you doing? He goes, God's good, things are good, we're doing ministry. First of all, friends, that's what we would call an OG in the kingdom of God. This is a guy that's been around the block and he's okay, and I love this guy. But what I'm learning from watching those farther ahead of me who lead in the church is that when we trust God, he produces more in us when we don't worry about all the other things. When we let the root get deep down, when we have our hearts focused on who God is and what he's about, he produces more spiritual goodness in our lives from little than we can ever imagine. This is the feeding of the 5,000. This is Jesus healing the dead. When it seems like there's nothing left, but God gets all of you, he does far more than you could ever ask or imagine. And that's as true for this church as it is for any place on this earth. Will God have all of us? Where does the church flourish the most? In the places in the world where Christianity seems to be persecuted the most. Because when God has all of us, he produces a bumper crop of spiritual transformation. And it starts with each one of us. We are the church. We are the sowers. We are the ones that are called to share in our lives the good news. But we have to have the good news. And it has to have all of us. So the questions this week for you to ask yourself is first look inward. What soil is my heart? What soil is my heart? How much of me does Jesus have? How far down do the roots go? Remember, the problem was never the sower. The problem is never the seed. God's word never returns void. The gospel is not the problem. All of God's word, because it's all about the gospel, all 66 books, the seed is not the problem. The sower is not the problem. God is the sower. His spirit working through us. We're all now sowers. That's not the problem. The difference was the soils. What soil is my heart? Because if God has all of me, then I'm going to go and I'm going to spread that. I'm going to germinate. I'm going to share that spiritual goodness. I have to look inward. And then the second thing is I have to serve outward. In my life, in my daily life, God doesn't want this much of you. He wants all of you. How am I sowing the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel? How am I sowing the gospel in my life? Maybe that means you have to consider how to share your testimony. 
I taught students for many years before I was a senior pastor. And this is what I've always taught students, and this will work for you too. Three parts to your testimony. What's your faith? If Jesus Christ has all of you, some of your testimonies have some twists and turns and some bumps and bruises. Some of them are, I've known Jesus since I was a little kid. Those are all beautiful and wonderful, and God has uniquely equipped you with a testimony to share with others. Three parts. Who I was before I knew Jesus, and that may be, I just kind of always knew Jesus. It may be, I was all the way over here at the end of my rope. Who I was before I knew Jesus, that's the first thing. What happened when I met Jesus? What happened when that irresistible grace, when he got you, got you, got you, what happened then? And the third thing, what's going on in my life? Where that fruit is being produced now that that rootedness has happened? Now that I know Jesus. Who I was or where I was before I knew Jesus. What happened when I met Jesus and where I'm going and what's happening in my life now. And it doesn't mean that everything is perfect. It doesn't mean your life is a Mentos commercial now. But yet you go to Jesus in the hard times. Right now in the hard times we've gone through, maybe you're going to Jesus. And that's a beautiful part of that testimony. Even when, especially when things are hard. And that's our job, friends, that we would sow seeds. What kind of soil is my heart? How am I sowing seeds of faith, the good news of the gospel? How am I sharing Jesus through who I am and uniquely who he has made me to be? Consider that this week. Let's pray. God, that we would remember what it means to belong to you. That we would remember what it means that we are your children that you have called us, that you have equipped us, you've made, you've made us your very own. God, help us to remember that you are powerful, you are able by your sovereign grace to do what we cannot do. God, in all these things, help us remember it's not the sower, it's not the seed, but your spirit is in us. You'll give us the words to say. You'll give us what we need to do so that we could share Christ with the world right now who is afraid, who is uncertain. God, that we would love and serve and care for all people, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.